The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the available lines ahead of the college basketball tournament on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Listener questions live on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Happy Friday, everybody. I am Anthony Cazenza, joined by John Sheeran, newly in his own bachelor pad, getting all kinds of new furniture and uh, decorative stuff in his new digs. How's the, how's the new place treating you, John? Yeah, it's got a dining room table, so I'm a distinguished human being, being eating on furniture made to be eaten on, and since it's Friday at five o'clock, I'm cracking open a cold one, which is this uh, this Rheingeist beer that's partnered with Masthead, which is a brewery in Cleveland. It's called Space Vibes. Okay, nice. Is it a what kind of what kind of brew you got there? I, I'm not drinking yet, so I, I'm I, I, it's it's too my time. It's a little early for me, but and I've got some more stuff to do. But I will be probably later this evening. I think it's too on the beer's time too because it's a West Coast Imperial. IPA. <laughs> oh, nice. Those are good. Those are tasty. Yeah. Those are tasty. Well, good for you. I'm jealous. Uh, hopefully, I'll get some of that in my system a little later. Thanks to all of you joining in for Listener Questions Live. It's happy hour for most of you if you're in the Cincinnati area or on the East Coast. It may be, hey, even if you're in my neck of the woods in, in Southern California, it is kind of a happy hour-ish. It's Friday afternoon. So we hope you're having uh, you're getting set for a good weekend. We hope that this show will help you get set for a good Bengals weekend. There's a lot to talk about in terms of training camp starting, a lot of Bengals now, basically all the Bengals are reporting, the roster look, all of that. We're going to be answering all of your questions and here's how you can get to, get in touch with us. You can leave a chat question in either the Facebook or the YouTube feeds. So do that if you would like. We'll get to those. You can tweet us at BanglesOBI. There is a live comment thread on CincyJungle.com on a post there. You can leave comments. We'll be monitoring that. You can email us at TheOBInsider at gmail.com. Or you can always call or text us, 949-542-6241. We'll be monitoring the line as well. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Let's get to it, John. I guess I'll start us off with our good friend at the Bengal Four on Twitter. Um, he's he's asking us something that would require quite a bit of research. Um, unfortunately, I did not do that. But the question is, what is the average hit rate on late round picks and UDFAs in the NFL, and where are the Bengals at in hitting on those guys 
Also, there's like three questions here. Also, what do you expect on guys like Bailey and Phillips? I, I will be honest with you. I did not do the proper research. We kind of do this a little impromptu style. I did not do the proper research as to say, as to get what the average hit rate is on late round guys. I will say the Bengals seem to be, I guess, pretty decent at that. They were pretty good at it with guys like Hushman Zada, Jonathan Finane, uh, Clayton Fedulum. I mean, they, they've, they've got a lot of guys that they get on day three that have helped them a lot. Um, you can even go how how great they've been, John, in round four, Anthony Collins, Geno Atkins, Damata Pico, a lot of good day three players and, and mid-round players um, for the Bengals. Still yet to be seen on that front in the Zach Taylor era. But I think the Bengals, I would think, without really having the data in front of me, are, I guess, pretty good at that. And they always seem to have a guy or two, a undrafted guy sneak on the roster, come final cuts. I had a tweet bookmarked from a long time ago okay. by the uh, the site manager of Pat's Pulpit, which is the SP Nation site for the New England Patriots. And he did he did some research on this topic a couple of years ago. It was just like a projected NFL value by draft pick. And it was basically like a regression telling you like the average approximate value, which is the metric that Pro Football Reference uses to like basically quantify a player's value with a single number. And essentially, it looks like how you would expect. The first couple rounds are conceivably higher than the rest of the draft. And once you hit like the picks that begin the sixth round and end in the fifth round, it's basically all the same. Like Anything that you get that's a surplus of like an average player beyond that round is a success because it, it, those picks are basically worth the same in terms of the expected result from whatever pick that is. And when you look at what the Bengals have done, I guess in the past decade, you look at picks that have happened in the fifth round beyond. You have Marvin Jones, George Aloka, Rex Burkhead are probably the undisputed top three draft picks from the fifth round beyond, I guess, in, the, in this past decade. And after that, it's just a lot of hit and miss, guys. Like Marquise Flowers has stayed around for a long time. Jordan Evans is still with the team. C.J. Uzama got a second contract. Brandon Wilson is their starting returner now. And then there's other guys like Mario Alford, Tanner Hawkinson, Reed Fraggle, Robert Sands, James Wright, Christian Westerman, guys that have stuck around for a little bit but just haven't materialized into actual NFL players, at least in the long term. So I, I don't know the, the, the total numbers in terms of hit rate for the rest of the league, but just know that any pick basically beyond the fifth round is essentially a crapshoot. It's essentially an undrafted free agent that you're taking a chance on with an actual draft pick and you're giving them four years on a contract instead of three years on a contract and giving them some form of a signing bonus along with that. So with the Bengals, I think they have had, had relative success. I don't know how you would compare it to the rest of the league, but those picks in general are just basically a crapshoot. They, they are the definition of the crapshoot for what many people assume the entire draft is. Right, but it's also where you build a lot of the meat of your roster, your special teams core, your rotational players, and a lot of other quality players come in those, in those late rounds. The Bengals, to me, have done a, a pretty good job uh, if you look at it overall, they've got so a lot of the names you mentioned were, were valuable guys um, and, and have gone on to have pretty good careers for them. So uh, I, I would say they're probably up there in terms of um, being a, one of the more productive teams in what they do on day three and undrafted free agents. Before we get to your choice for the next question, John, uh, just a quick one. Russ Childress, has Trey Wayne signed yet? Yes, I believe he has. I believe everybody's now there and, and working out. I know that was uh, a hold up there. I know he and Mackenzie Alexander showed up shortly before 
camp and that's uh so, so they took care of that so i think everybody's under contract everybody's out there von bell's practicing all the rookies are out there that's taken care of again reminder before we get to john's choice for the next question 949-542-6241 call or text email the obinsider at gmail.com Leave your questions in the live YouTube or Facebook chats, as well as the comment thread on Cincy Jungle, or you can tweet us at BanglesOBI. We had an interesting question from Drake Barry in the YouTube comments section. He's asking, how often do you see the offense going four or five wide, meaning four or five wide receivers, if the offensive line can't hold up? If I had to guess, it would be fairly often. I think... In terms of the personnel on the field, there's 11 personnel, which is three receivers. There's 10 personnel, which is four receivers. And if you have all five, that's double zero personnel because you don't have any tight ends or receivers on the field. I think regardless of that personnel, you're going to have only basically five offensive linemen, five blockers, because you want to have your tight end, if that's Uzoma or or sample running routes, and you want to have Joe Mixon leaving the backfield as a receiver too. You want to utilize as many receiving options as you can because that was the basis of Joe Burrow's offense at LSU. That's what Joe Brady instituted and brought in to that offense last year, and it's what made it click so well. They had five receiving options regardless of how many actual wide receivers were on the field at the same time. I think with this roster, with this depth depth chart now, the strength is in the wide receiver room in that depth chart specifically, and you would like to have both T. Higgins and John Ross, for example, on the field at the same time to take advantage of some mismatches that that the defense presents with with, with you. I think 11 personnel with three receivers is still going to be the dominant um, package that they have in terms of personnel. But yeah, you you could see an increase in in 10 personnel and and try to get four receivers on the field. I don't think you're going to see very many opportunities where you have five receivers on the field because I still think they want to increase a role for true sample and if there was true to increase joe mixon's involvement in the passing game as well my thing with this john for years andy dalton was tops in the league in terms of getting the ball out of his hand quickly right they wanted to they, they did that on purpose not only so that andy dalton could make one or two reads and potentially make the right throw make the read to A.J. Green and get the ball in A.J. Green's hands. And then obviously in later years, try and mask some of the offensive line deficiencies. We know that Joe Burrows, one of his best strengths coming out of college is his ability to create, his ability to avoid pressure, and his ability to see multiple reads and go down the line of progressions. That's what makes him so such a dynamic quarterback and why a lot of people think he's going to be so great at the next level. I wonder, though, if – to Drake's point and to what you're kind of saying, I wonder if if Cincinnati will try and get the ball out of Joe's hands quickly, especially early in his career, because they're still trying to build cohesion up front and there are some warts on the offensive line that they need to mask. Yeah, exactly. And I think, again, regardless of the, the personnel in terms of receiving options, you're going to have, for the, most, for the majority of the time, just five blockers up front. I don't think they want to keep an extra blocker in there to minimize the damage that they can create against the defense with with this passing game if it's as good as they believe it, it'll be going forward. So I think that's the plan to start. Obviously, if things you know kind of fall apart like they did last year, they'll have to adjust. And But I think with a guy like Burrow who can manage and evade pressure better and get the ball out, in more opportune spots, you're gonna you're not gonna have that liability to to deal with on a, on a more weekly basis like we did in, in the past years. Right, Michael Jordan. I feel like Michael asks us this every week, or a variation of this every week, about if the season's going to be played. If it's not, well, we're not politicians. We're not in the league offices. 
We're not scientists, so this is completely conjecture in terms of our answer, but simple question, will we have a season? And if so, will we play all 16 games is the question from Michael. I've I've said this for a little while now, and maybe I'm just being optimistic about it. I think that there is a lot of money in this particular sport, and a lot of wealthy people stand to lose a lot of money. And we've seen some high-profile players opt out of the season because of the COVID-19 crisis, but not the huge, huge names, not the franchise quarterbacks, backs, etc. Um, so I, my, my guess is I think they will probably have that and play the entire season, what that looks like, how serious a few years down the road you take this season in terms of who wins the Super Bowl, who goes far in the playoffs. Is there asterisks next to next to certain teams, how they do this year? Um, you know, I, I, I think that that's a possibility. But I'm also prepared for there to be something in October, November, December, and even into the early months of 21 where there's, you know, a, a second coming of the virus, a, another spike or something where there may be some further closures and some tightening up on some things once again, because it's virus season, it is illness season, uh, that sort of thing. But I think because of other factors, they are going to play 16 games, but I think there's it's not going to feel the same. It's not going to be the same in terms of fans in the seats and all that stuff. That's just my opinion, John. I don't know how anybody can be confident in answering this question right now. I think the optimist and everybody wants to believe that things are starting to trend in the right direction. If we keep the same course, then we're going to see, I guess, a positive progression in terms of the outlook of the season being able to conclude in its entirety. But right now, I still, I still don't think we can have like a confident answer of yes or no. I think, like you said, they're going to do everything in their power to try so because there is so much money on the line and they're already standing to lose a good chunk of salary cap for next year and have the re- revenue kind of roll over into the next 10 years or so to kind of compensate for it. But it, it's, it's still, I think too early, even with now about a month until the season, I, I think it's just too early to forecast if there is going to be a full season or not. Agreed. Where are we going next? Hmm. I saw one from Mr. Whisper not too long ago. I said, Oh, okay. Yeah. Cut trade franchise. Gino, AJ and William Jackson. Oh man. Uh, so this, this is kind of like the, well, there's a, there's a dirty version of this game um, that, that you pull, you sometimes play. It's happy uh, hour. KFM. Uh, yeah, exactly. There you go. Um, you said it. I didn't, but cut trade franchise, Gino, AJ, William Jackson. Uh I think at this point for me, you would you would trade Jackson because the most value would be had there. Um, I think we're I think we're talking for twenty one is is what Mister mm-hmm. Whispers talking. Well, one of them is already franchised, right? So. Right? Right? So if we're talking for twenty one, I would say you know, even though Jackson wouldn't be under contract, but trade would be William Jackson for me because the most value is there because of his age and and a position he plays and the potential there. Um, Gino, I, you know, I guess, I guess I would say franchise Gino and maybe, and maybe cut AJ. I don't, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one for me. That's a tough one for me. But to me, I, I will Jackson to me holds trade value. Um, whether that's franchise then trade, 
because <laughs> then that takes up two of those. So I, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I think you're, I think you're onto something there because with his youth and his positional value, Jackson would probably net the safest return, at least for someone looking for something for an asset to have long term. I guess William Jackson fits the bill better there. And then with the franchise question, you're thinking, okay, who am I most comfortable paying top five money for just a one year basis? Who am I most confident in them not dropping off, assuming that they stay healthy and then still producing near the top of their position group? And I think it's still probably AJ, even though he's had more injury issues than Gino himself. I think if you cut either of them, it's not an ideal situation. But if you just have the confidence in paying a guy what constitutes as a franchise tax salary and what how much value that he brings, I think it's still probably AJ in that sense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you might be right there. A uh, good one from Mr. Whisper with a, a very eerie avatar on his YouTube account there. Um, but thanks for the question nonetheless. Let's go back to Twitter at DZE, D-E-A-S-E-Y-E-E-E. Uh, basically, I, I think this was more of a, a statement and question that was talking about um, our, what we talked about on the show earlier in the week about the, the Joe Mixon debate. Basically, you know, talking about the money and all of that. Can really the crux of the question here is can Mixon be fairly judged when he hasn't been fully utilized by the coaches, i.e. as a receiver out of the backfield? I'm going to say this. There's an interesting post or an interesting video that surfaced, John, from Field Yates of ESPN. He was having a conversation with Matthew Barry. It was a little like one, one and a half minute clip where they're talking. And really, over the last couple of years, Joe Mixon has, along with Ezekiel Elliott, a lot of the top amounts of carries and touches and all of that as a running back uh, over the past couple of years. So I found that to be quite interesting. I think we look back to maybe Joe's rookie year when he kind of was really, truly splitting carries with Giovanni Bernard. And that really hasn't been the case since Mixon has emerged. So, uh, you know, I think he is getting the touches or has been getting the touches. I will say this. It seems to be more frequent towards the end of the, of the past two seasons, the, the back half of the, the, the first two seasons. They realized what they were doing in the first half wasn't really working. They needed to pound the ball a little bit more, especially the weather getting worse, that sort of old school mentality a little bit, hide some of the offensive line issues. That's why I think they altered their game plan in 29, uh, 2018 and 2019 to give Joe more touches. But um, I don't know. Your thoughts on that? Well, both seasons they they went into the season with the delusion with delusions of grandeur with the offensive line. They thought they had something that they didn't have, which was a competent offensive line. And then I remember in twenty eighteen, you got to remember that that's it's when AJ Green went down first, and then you had the offense in disarray. Like, what are they going to do now? What is their identity? And they put it all on Joe, and their offense still really wasn't really good, as you we could see by how that season ended. And then last year was more along the same thing, like. Joe is our identity. We're going to try to run this scheme around him. We don't have the blockers to do that. So we're going to change it up entirely in the second half. Joe looks better. The offense still doesn't really do much in terms of winning games. So it's interesting here. Like, no, Joe Mixon has not had a fair situation in terms of surrounding talent and and scheme that mirrors and marries that talent properly. But I think you're still evaluating him in terms of what he can do and how, how he can overcome the other variables around him. And it's also a case study of how valuable is the running back when the offensive line is not up to snuff and therefore doesn't allow your running back to be as effective as possible. So I feel, I still think you're getting somewhat of a fair evaluation with Joe Mixon's skill set. It's just, I think the question is more asking like, 
have we seen the peak production of Joe Mixon? Yeah. Or is it, is it not fair for that because the surrounding situations haven't been exactly optimal? Yeah, that's that's probably a little bit more what we're what we're talking about on that question. Where are we going next, John? There was one by oh yeah, uh, it was yeah. So Robert Obrick, a frequent listener of the show, is asking what kind of season stats would you guys be would you guys consider for Joe Burrow's first season to be successful? We talked about this a little bit uh, earlier in the summer when I, I posted that article about expectations for Joe. And this is because I'm trying to deviate away from more traditional quarterback stats. I know like the the, the, the desired answer, this is probably in terms of yards, touchdowns, interceptions, completion percentage. And I think those are borderline misleading now, especially with all the information that, that's at our disposal. So what, what I found in that research is that rookie quarterbacks typically end up in at best the average and more so the below average in terms of expected points added per play completion percentage over expectation they're not particularly good ex- albeit for a couple outliers like russell wilson robert griffin third Dak prescott matt ryan from that from 2008 those were like those were top five seasons from a quarterback as a rookie and there's been 30 over 30 examples of rookie starters since 2006 and only like five or six have been above average in that sense so the expectations with burrow is that he's going to be probably average at best and probably more in the below average standpoint and that's probably going to lead to an offense that's about around the same in terms of standing from from league offenses standpoint so i don't know how to translate that that those expectations into like base standard stats but it's probably not, not something that's going to lead to a lot of pro bowl votes so here's i'm going to share something here and this is courtesy of the draft network it was something that they put out last year but it's uh so some of you may know i'm a little bit of a of a in certain ways of the game, I'm a little old school. So I really like Bill Parcells. I always really like Bill Parcells. Obviously had a ton of success in the league, et cetera. I remember years and years ago, Bill Parcells always talked about how there was this, he had this formula for college quarterbacks um, and what he looked what he looked for both as a head coach and a personnel man. So you can see here, be a three-year starter, be a senior in college, graduate from college, R30 games, win 23 games. I'm looking at more the six and seven uh, as as a barometer of success for Joe Burrow as a rookie. And you see that the two-to-one ratio, uh, touchdown-to-interception ratio, that shows good decision-making skills and, um, you know, obviously just accuracy. And then the, going on that accuracy point, the 60-plus percent. Um, and, I, you know, that's, that's kind of indicative of a quarterback making good decisions, spreading the ball around, hitting a lot of high-percentage passes, so to, to me, those are a couple of barometers of success I would use in terms of looking at Joe Burrow and his being successful in, in his rookie year. A, a couple of those principles from Bill Parcells. Uh, you know, I, I, I also think just showing the intangible, some of the intangibles that we think we're getting with him from college, the leadership, the commanding of a huddle, to be able to disperse the ball to a lot of different weapons, that sort of thing. Win, win games like a pit. Get, get a Steelers win in your rookie year, right? <laughs> uh, get a a win in Baltimore in your rookie year. Uh, th- those things, even if you end up with seven wins, those are the types of things I would look for as feathers in the cap to say, you know what, this is the guy. As if there was any really doubt right now, anyway. But this is the guy. He's won critical games. He's, he's making some plays. His stats look pretty decent. 
His rating's decent. You know, let's let's move on and, and the window's opening. That's that's more what I would look look for, um, I think, for Joe Burrow as a rookie. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're going to get to a few more questions. Again, you can call or text us 949-542-6241. Get in touch with us there. Email theobinsider at gmail.com. We have a live comment thread running on cincyjungle.com. And then, of course, the live chats in both the YouTube and Facebook. So uh, get those to us there. And then uh, at Bengals OBI on Twitter, we'll be here a few more minutes answering some more questions. Uh, There was one here, John, in – I'm trying trying to see who it was that said this. My apologies. It was, I'll, I'll pull it up in a second, but basically, oh, here it is right here by Ronnie Swango. Um, any chance we see Glasgow back on the roster once he's able to clear a physical? That I thought was a really interesting question. And if that comes, yes. Jeff Hobson on a training camp report video Thursday, I believe it was, Thursday morning, said that the Bengals are, look, are going to be looking at free agent defensive tackles. They want someone younger, so that probably – eliminates Domata Pico uh, that also eliminates, you know, some others in, in, in the running there, but I, they want a defensive tackle. They're going to get Renell Wren back. I think it sounds like that's not a very serious situation by other reports. So, you know, Glasgow's still pretty young. He has had the injury issues, but if he comes back and is proven to be healthy, um, Maybe that's maybe that's an alley they go back down again, especially to bolster that defensive line in which they want a better rotation. I'm going to answer this in a very bizarre manner. I love it. Very and use very bizarre reasoning behind it, but it's something that Matt Minnick, who does chalk talk for us on on this channel, it's what he brought up um, a couple weeks ago. For so long, DJ Reader didn't have a number on the Bengals roster page. And then as soon as Ryan Glasgow is waived <laughs> due to a failed physical, he just gets 98 for like for five months. Like every other free agent was given a number like DJ Reader could have taken a number in the 70s or could have taken one like the one number that was still available in the 90s. No, he waited until Glasgow failed his physical out of quote unquote nowhere and then got the number that he wore with, with the Houston Texans. I don't think that this was something that just came out of the blue. With the, I think it was something that they were expecting for a long time. Maybe they were just biding their time and, until they had to cut the roster to, to cut the roster down. I, it's entirely possible that he's just not healthy right now. He's not going to be healthy until maybe into the regular season because he is mm-hmm. coming off of that injury, and whatnot. And I just th- th- there's just something that is telling me that this is not a relationship that's going to be 
reunited within within at least the coming weeks or something. If, if they have an emergency right. as the season goes on and enough time has passed where he's probably healthy then, then I think that reunion happens. But I think this is something that has been in the plans for some time. and It's just not in the cards for an immediate reunion. Yeah, and that's why the Bengals always keep that in-season free agency windfall in terms of the financial windfall to help, uh, you know, in case injuries hit, they get, you know, some other guys. So maybe that's someone they look at. Uh, there's also the less guaranteed money, I think, if you sign a guy after week two or three. So, um, you know, that may be something they they put into play here. Uh, we did get a text, but you're up next, John, with a, a question that you want to get to. Yeah, I just want to answer uh, Dave Lennox's question real quick. He's saying if Mixon is if Joe Mixon is lo- only looking to be paid in the $8 million range, what's the holdup of the signing? That seems like it would be a steal $8 million a year. I think we talked about this a little bit on, on the weekly show it's not necessarily just the average annual value. I think it, 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 that's just not really how contracts go. It's not like here we're offered offer this total money over this year. So it rounds out to that. It's what you want. All right, sign here. It's a lot of different issues in terms of how the cash is paid out in the coming years. I think the biggest variable right now is the uncertainty of how the salary cap is going to be structured over the next couple of years with the loss of revenue. I think that's the one thing that is iron being ironed out right now. And it's usually what takes these, what, what seems to be just cut and dry deals uh, take longer than what we expect. I, when we posted that article on Since Jungle a couple, a couple days ago, the overwhelming response is that's a bargain. It should be signed immediately. Give him nine million. Give him ten million. It's never about the average annual value. That's the number that we as fans can grasp easily. But it's so much more complicated in terms of the guaranteed structure, the offsets, the payouts, the cash flow. It's a, it's a ton of different details, and it's only being made more comp, more complicated because of the uncertainty with the cap in the coming years. Right, and I don't want to beat a dead horse there. I, I want folks to go listen to our last show about the Mixon uh, discussion we had, which I thought was a really entertaining one, if I can brag about ourselves there. <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, like you said, John, the guaranteed money has always been a sticking point, particularly in in uh, a contract beyond rookie, rookie deals with the Cincinnati Bengals. And then, of course, the Bengals do operate a little bit differently. We've talked about this before where, you know, a lot of times they are more prone to have players see a contract through than others, even though the guaranteed money is less. And, and, you know, just the way they structure it, the way they structure it is sometimes different even though, you know, the money sounds like a lot of money that may not be exactly the, the whole picture of what the player is going to receive. But I, I we still think that this is probably going to get done. What it looks like and when it gets done is another question, but we'll see. We got a text from 513 area code. Which of the rookies not named Burrow are you most excited to see to see get on the field? I'm personally excited to see what Wilson and Akeem Davis-Gaither can bring to the linebacker core. I think King Davis Gaither intrigues me the most as well. I think when I evaluated the linebackers in this class, he ended up near the top in terms of my my overall rankings, I guess, because I, I just think in terms of what makes the linebacker valuable in the year 2020, he just brings that. He's not the biggest guy. I think he's listed at 6'2", 215, but he can cover ground in an instant. He has instincts and coverage. He has blitzing capabilities. He played many different positions at Appalachian State. He was productive there too at a position at a position that primarily wasn't linebacker, but he ended up getting a lot of solo tackles to his credit, which bodes well for his NFL projection. Just his athleticism, his instincts and coverage is what's going to it's going to make him stand out in, in that group, whether it be this year or next year. By the end of his rookie contract, he's going to be an asset on this team. He may start out with, with, in special teams, and he was a special teams ace in college as well. He's just the guy that excites me the most, and I think they got a ton of value with that pick. I, you know, I, I like Davis Gaither. 
Um, last year, my favorite picks of the Bengals class was Renell Wren, and I, I like the Rodney Anderson pick a lot. Um, I just thought there was a lot of value to both of those selections. I look at this year, and obviously there's uh, this was a very top-heavy – Well, this, I mean, there's a lot of talent the Bengals brought in in this class, and, and I, I am excited about Wilson and Davis Gaither. I, I'm really – I'm really excited for a guy like Marcus Bailey. I think there is a lot of potential there. And I guess I'm a little partial because he was on our program a couple of months ago, but um, really sharp guy. He's already out there practicing. You can see some of the pictures he's out there. So, you know, he's healed up from that, uh, that knee injury he had, Um, you know, he's had a tough road, but when he was out there for Purdue, he was a very productive player. And I think he can do a lot of different things uh, for a defense. So I, I really like him. And then, you know, not necessarily this year, but I am excited for what T Higgins is going to bring to this team. Um, I, I think there is the Bengals have a streak, a long streak of talented offensive skill position players that they have drafted in the second round and a long track record of those guys being great Bengals players. And I think that this guy is going to be the next one. It just is a matter of when he gets a high profile role. It may be a year or two down the road. Once AJ green starts to slowly move out of the picture or abruptly moves out of the picture. But um, you know, for me, I, I, if you're, if we're not talking about burrow, I, I really like the Marcus Bailey pick and I really, really like the T Higgins pick as well. I would have, I would have liked Michael Pittman a little bit more. We know this, but T Higgins, uh, I like that pick too. Uh, where, where should we go next? We've got just a couple more minutes. Um, there was one, uh, in here. You want to go to offensive line question? Yeah. 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 Did you see one? I, I think I saw one in there. Yeah. We had one from Scott Hayner from the YouTube comment section. He's asking how much do you think Jonah Williams will help the line? Um, a lot primarily <laughs> because <laughs> like, just think about this logically, like in, in terms of, what they had last year left tackle, it was the bottom of the barrel. It was the the worst left tackle situation in the NFL last year. Like they had to bring John Jerry out of retirement. They brought back Andre Smith again to play a position that he hasn't played in so many years. Like it, it was it was desolate. And even when Cord- like you saw Cordy Glenn come back there, and apparently there was a rift with him in the locker room. And like even Cordy Glenn at it, at the the tail end of his career looked as a notable improvement compared to the to the guys beforehand. And that's not saying that John Jerry was completely bad throughout the entire year. He had a handful of, of decent games in there, but Jonah Williams just has to be just okay. He has to just be solid for a first-year offensive tackle, and, and he'll be an immediate upgrade. He'll be an obvious upgrade. Now, the value of one offensive lineman making the entire line better, that's another question entirely because I think if you quantify each offensive lineman's value, you would you would get a smaller value than maybe what um, somebody would think. But in terms of who he's replacing and how that will affect everything else, yeah, there's going to be noticeable improvement just because of the talent that he was replacing last year. Yeah, just to add on that so we don't belabor the point, I mean, I, I agree with what you said there, but very interesting comments from offensive coordinator Brian Callahan on Friday saying basically how different Jonah Williams looks this year as compared to last year. He kind of said that last year he looked more like a big college kid, whereas this year he seemed to have filled out and kind of looks more like a pro football player. Um, now I don't, you know, I don't know if that's more uh, increased conditioning, um, obviously just maturing and getting older, um, or he's jacked. Yeah. He, he looks, he looks big in some pictures that I've seen in a good way, but it's also, you know, these guys haven't seen each other for a long time. So it may just be, you know, absence may makes the heart grow fonder. Right. So, 
I, I don't know, but uh, I, I expect big things out of that guy. And what's what's great, kind of piggybacking off my the answer to my last question is, uh, you know, the Bengals are kind of getting in the old school cliche, they're getting extra draft picks this year in some ways. Um, and, and Jonah Williams is kind of that extra first round pick getting him back. So um, that's, that's a good one there. Good question. Thank you for that. There was one other that I wanted to get to before we head on out of here, unless John's got another two, uh, another one or two that he wants to get to. Um, it was basically about expectations of the defense this year. Um yeah, here it is. Yakov, Yakov Hammer. Uh, what are your expectations from the defense this year, mostly out of the D-line, Atkins and Dunlap entering their last and final years? Reader is new. Hubbard's still young. Bottom line, what are we going to see out of this squad? I I mean, it's hard not to see progress out of what we saw really over the past couple of years. I mean, it, they've made a lot of additions. I think there will be growing pains. There are a lot of new faces on this defense, but I think by the time the end of the season – rolls around. I think you're going to see a middle of the pack defense and that's okay. You know, I know you spend a lot of money and you a lot of draft capital, but if you're at middle of the pack, if this defense goes from 31st, 30th, 32nd in all these major statistical ca- categories, which has been the case really the past 2 years, if you bump that up to middle of the pack, this should be a very competitive team. And it may not be right away, but they should be a very competitive team if they sit there in the at least in the middle of the pack. I think we need to examine the type of content that's being created right now in terms of covering the Bengals defense, because right now, like the most synonymous term or the most common term with anything that we're reading about the defense is tackling and relearning and learning how to tackle again, which blows my mind in that's the crazy. sense when you're talking about an NFL team, like that's how bad it was last year. That's it. It, it wasn't even like it, it was, it was square negative one. It wasn't square one. It was peewee level in terms of understanding yep. and having a cognizant understanding of where guys were around you and how to take angles and just wrap up. Like, that's how terrible it was. And, like, so, yeah, there's going to be improvement because you're bringing in guys who can tackle better. But at the end of the day, how effective your defense is, it all depends on how you can stop the pass. And that all de- and that is mostly in the hands of your secondary. So a career year at William Jackson the third will take this defense to – from a below average level to an above average level, just for having that one cornerback that can take away an offense's best receiver. If we see anywhere close to the 2017 season, you're going to see market improvement for this defense in fold. They have enough talent on the defensive line to generate pressure, to scheme pressure, at least for some of those guys. And if you just have competent, just okay linebackers, which I think they have now, it all, it, it all leads up to counting on the success of your secondary. And I think they have enough talent there to at least make ends meet. I don't think they're going to be world beaters, it would be it would shock me if they were top 10 this year but anywhere below that i think is the expectation very very solid point about the tackling the other thing that they've had to relearn and hopefully are continuing to relearn john since 2017 2018 2019 the dropped gimme interceptions are just unbelievable Unbel- now Drake Kirkpatrick probably was the biggest culprit of all of, 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 you know, the entire group, but William Jackson had a couple of opportunities. He didn't come up with it. Jesse Bates even last year had a couple of opportunities that he should have come up with early in the season. He really picked it up at the end of the season. 
but the list goes on and on at vigil. I mean, there were dropped interceptions over the past two, three seasons that just drove you nuts. And it really directly correlated to the fact that they've had some pretty bad records in that, in that time, they need to get their hands on the football, bring it in for the turnover, make the big play. That's why I think a guy like Darius Phillips is valuable on this defense, but, but excellent point about the tackling. And that's why they brought in Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander, even though they're secondary players, right? I mean, those are guys that get guys on the ground. If they do allow a reception, they get guys on the ground and don't allow the offense to the opposing offense to stay on the field. Any others you want to get to before we get on out of here, John? Oh man. I saw one that was intriguing, but I forget who said it. Uh, Okay. For Mark Fry on YouTube. Would a breakout season by one of the younger wide receivers mean the end of AJ Green Cincinnati? That's a good one. Uh, uh, yes. Will it? Will that happen? I don't know. And by by younger wide receivers, who are we talking about? Because if it's John Ross, that may be a completely different discussion because he's not under contract next year, nor is AJ Green. Odd and Tate. Maybe if it's T Higgins, if it's T Higgins that explodes, I think then yes, that ushers in the end of the AJ Green era. If it's a John Ross, if it's an Auden Tate, you know some of these other guys, I, I don't know that that shows that it shows AJ the door. And I do think that if AJ proves to be healthy and effective this year, I think he'll get another contract with the team and he wants to stay with the team. But really, the only one I can see that really pushes AJ Green out of the door is if T. Higgins comes out and just explodes on the scene because, you know, basically a first round pick at number 33 overall, talented kid. And, you know, he is going to be the future at that position after AJ goes. I think we're just dealing with an independent vari- variable with this. I think it's regardless of what happens around AJ. If AJ wants to stay here, I think the Bengals still value him enough to keep him around. And I don't think that they're going to see whatever type of a breakout season from John Ross and just invest all the money that they want to pay AJ in John Ross. I think with John Ross, it's more of a if not, of an Eifert situation where he just might play himself out of Cincinnati entirely because I think they're still committed to keeping AJ long-term. And I think AJ is still committed to being here long-term as long as he stays healthy this year and produces like the AJ Green we all know. Another receiver, I guess, that could qualify with that is Auden Tate, who is still under contract for 2021 as well, so they won't really have to think about that now. And even still, like I don't know how much success Auden Tate has to have for them to be supremely confident in him just taking over AJ Green entirely, but I don't think that's even possible considering the role that he's going to have in this offense as like the fourth or fifth receiver. T. Higgins is still here for four years. He just signed his rookie contract, and you still have Boyd for a handful of years. So it just doesn't seem likely that any of those things is going to impact Green's future in Cincy. I think the the more interesting discussion, quite honestly, is if John Ross has an amazing season, AJ Green looks like he's back to form and, and, you know, near Pro Bowl form, you know, who do you trust more to sign to a longer term contract? The guy with the long track record, but has and is a borderline Hall of Famer, if not a Hall of Famer, but has had injury issues and is entering his mid 30s. Or the young guy who may be a flash in the pan has had a lot of different struggles with injuries, consistency, all of that. Does he find his niche now with Joe Burrow? You know what I mean? That, that to me is 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 an interesting discussion. I, I don't think though, if John Ross explodes, I don't know that that pushes AJ out. Um, they're just two completely different players, and uh, I just I don't really see that happening. But good questions all around, everybody. We've been here for, I can't believe it's already been 40 minutes. So, uh, John, thank you for your time. What else What, what else do you have for us before we get on out of here? 
I think I'm going to go back on PlayStation and start playing Fall Guys. If we have any Fall Guys fans in the chat, can we spam some Fall Guys love? Okay. Any, anybody? Anybody? I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what that is. No. Uh, <laughs> um, what, what is that for Xbox, PC? What, what is that? I think it's for everybody right right now. Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's cross platform or something. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something a little, a little wacky here. I'm going to share my screen because, um, and I, I'm, you're probably going to see a reflection of what I have here, but I want to share a, a quick picture if I may. Um, and I don't know if you're able to see everything here. Are you, are you seeing my screen here, John? I am. Okay. So a couple of whippersnappers. So this picture right here, uh, it's my brother's birthday tomorrow. He's an old, he's my older brother. If you see him, he's got the old school bangle beanie here. He's got the old school bangle gloves. And that's, that's me little, little chubbo here in these, uh, I don't know, Oshkosh clothes or whatever, but my brother's birthday is tomorrow. He is the reason that I am a Bengals fan. And he is actually the guy who pushed me into writing and podcasting. He said I should go for it back in 2011 and have been doing so since. Uh, so I got to wish him a happy birthday. He's closing in on 50, this guy, uh, but he doesn't look a day over 46. Uh, <laughs> Cause that's his age. Uh, but anyway, uh, happy birthday, Brandon. He's a great brother. And you can see here, the Bengals blood runs deep, even though for two guys born and raised in Southern California, this is back Gosh, if I'm about three or four there, must be about 1985, 1986. And he's got, he's decked out thanks to our Uncle Jim, who at the time was living in Cincinnati and uh, was sending us gear and all of that good stuff. So happy birthday, Brandon. He does listen to this show, surprisingly, and uh, supports the show. So just wanted to give him a happy birthday. We're going to be celebrating tonight for him. So. Happy birthday, Brandon. I don't have I have a soft drink to cheers to you, but happy birthday, Brandon. Well, thanks, John. Thank you all to the listeners. And thank you all to who submitted questions. We'll be getting to more of them. Uh, I don't know if we'll be doing this next week, probably the next Friday, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We're gonna be doing this about two or three times a month. So we'll be doing this quite frequently. Keep sending us your questions. Even if we didn't get to them today, you can send them to us. We keep those in queue and try and get to them to the next show. Of course, we've got the Monday News Jump coming up next week, as well as the usual Wednesday show. You can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio. You can get it on CincyJungle.com, of course, YouTube, and uh, Cincy Jungle's Facebook page. So uh, get the show how you can. You can get Orange is the New Black our show the orange and black insider as well as mad minix chalk talk uh all that stuff is on all those channels so thank you for your support thank you for tuning in today enjoy the rest of your weekend we'll see you next time